Well, here we are, folks, on the other side of an election that was as long as it was consequential. Now firmly in the middle of a Biden-Harris transition effort, but still unsure about how President Trump is going to handle the next 70 days or so, there are lots of big questions facing this country, many of them directly in the area of health care. This Tuesday, the Supreme Court will hear oral argument in the case that could determine the fate of the Affordable Care Act, which, while not perfect, more than a million Ohioans depend on for their health care coverage. And of course, the big question in our state remains, and will remain for some time, COVID-19, which is spiking all around us. There's so many important issues to get into, and today marks the beginning on this show of a new push to cover the stories, organizations, and people that Ohioans are going to want to know more about. This is Prognosis Ohio, and I'm your host, Dan Skinner. really good to be back now on our every other week schedule. Our focus moving forward is going to be a bit more on quality over quantity, so hopefully we'll be able to bring you better episodes that you'll have more time to digest. We've lined up a bunch of really exciting and topical episodes for you, starting today with our focus on the state of dentistry in Ohio. On our next episode, we're going to be talking with the founder of the Testicular Cancer Society, which happens to be headquartered in Cincinnati, for a discussion that aligns nicely with Men's Health Month in November. These are the kind of issues we're going to be trying to focus on for the next few months, issues that will illuminate aspects of health and healthcare in Ohio that listeners may not know much about, but also new research and political developments that could shape health policy. One thing I'm going to be working especially hard on this show is having conversations with Ohioans who hold vastly different views than I do on issues of consequence. So I'm going to be doing some outreach to make that happen. I'd really appreciate your feedback or your ideas if you have any. As always, before turning to my conversation with today's guest, which is Dr. Sharon Parsons, a Bexley-based dentist and a leader in the field in our state, I'd like to remind you to please share your ideas for show themes or interviews by emailing us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Also, check out our website at prognosisohio.com, which we're going to be spiffying up over the next few weeks. And while you're there, consider becoming a Patreon for just $3 a month. I can't tell you how much I appreciate the new Patreons who've joined us in the last few weeks. Their support is helping to defray the many accumulating costs required to put a show like this out without burdening listeners with, you know, boring ads about sketchy supplement pills and things like that. If you haven't seen the cool t-shirts we have also, please do and know that all Patreons now receive one when they sign up. To become a Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash prognosisohio. That's patreon.com slash prognosisohio. And thanks. Dr. Sharon Parsons graduated from The Ohio State University College of Dentistry in 1981. After practicing in Chillicothe and Groveport, she joined a local practice, Dental Associates, in 1987, and she's now the owner of that practice. As we discussed in the show, Dr. Parsons recently completed a term as president of the Ohio Dental Association. Dr. Parsons practices general dentistry and treats patients of all ages. She also educates people about opioid awareness and talks to dental professionals about opioid prescribing, a project she's been passionate about since her older son, Sean, died of an opioid overdose. Parsons tells the story in the collection that I co-edited, entitled Not Far From Me, Stories of Opioids in Ohio. Obviously, I recommend that you check out Parsons' piece and the book, and we're going to be including a link in the show notes. But let me add a personal note as well, that it's been wonderful getting to know Dr. Parsons, learning about her family, but also watching her turn personal tragedy into advocacy and action. She's a great example of how to turn one situation into an opportunity to help others. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. Oh, well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. I'd been meaning to reach out to you for a while because I knew that you'd been serving as the president of the Ohio uh, Dental Association. And by the time I wrote to you, I think, and I, I blame this on COVID and the election and all of that, 
you said to me, well, actually, uh, you're writing to the uh, immediate past president of the Ohio Dental Association, and you seemed almost relieved, like the year had ended and you had a little more space or something like that. But I'm not in a hot seat anymore. Yeah. So I I wonder if we could just start there. Tell me about your year in that position. Um, What were some of your priorities? Maybe a little bit for listeners, uh, you know, what did you learn from um, being the president of our state's dental association? Wow. Well, when you become president, it's a four-year process. So you, you, you're kind of, you're ready for the position. You start off as vice president, then immediate past, you know, then um, uh, president elect then president, then immediate past president. So it's kind of a four year thing. So it, it, you have a lot of time in that. Um, I, I learned that it's a, it's a big job, especially during a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, we worked with the uh, Ohio dental board to figure out, okay, how do we do this? How are we going to get back to work? When is it safe to go back to work? And how do we keep ourselves, our staff, and especially our patients safe? Yeah, and this was a lot of this was all new too. I mean, uh, obviously, as as a uh, you know a healthcare professional, like you know the medical students I work with, for example, we we talk about training to you know to protect patients, to talk about protecting healthcare workers of various sorts in various ways. But there were some aspects of COVID nineteen that were also new. Well, right. And, and there was so much that was unknown. In, in dentistry, we started um, really amping up our infection control procedures when AIDS came on the scene. Yeah. So we've been, we've been doing a lot of this for a long time, but we had to you know, really put it in high gear and, and add a lot to it. So we'll get to you know COVID uh, in, in depth, I think, in a, in a couple of minutes. But I wonder if we could just start. So you know, I, I know that you were involved um, with uh, diversity issues, this uh, diversity task force. I did want to talk to you a little bit because I know that you've spent some time writing about your own experience being a woman in dentistry, and you know, going through dental school and uh, this field that is, you know, like many fields in, in medicine and healthcare, were dominated by. Men, so I, but I wonder if you could talk about diversity more broadly and and, and the work you've been doing there. Sure. Um, one of the things I really wanted to accomplish my year as president was to make the dental association mirror dentistry as a whole. So um, I wanted more women, more um, minorities involved in in organized dentistry, just so we represented everyone. So I started a diversity and inclusion task force, which was very successful. Everyone seemed to, you know, really get a lot out of it. And as we met, they they realized the importance of it, and that we had really only scratched the surface. So the, uh, during our House of Delegates, um, a resolution was brought forth to make it a permanent part of the Ohio Dental Association. Here in Grandview, where I live, uh, you know, I my dentist's office, the one that I go to, um, I always notice. You know, when they send these advertisements out, it's three men and then a team of, uh, you know, about it looks like 15 or so hygienists all, who are all women. I mean, the gender split is is, is pretty glaring, actually. Um, has this changed just the gender piece since you came up uh, and, and trained to become a dentist? Yes. When I was in school, um, women in dental school were about 10 percent. Right now, they're 50 percent in the dental school classes. So um, this year at Ohio State, I know, it's the first year that women have outnumbered men in the yeah. class. 
So it's changed a lot. Um, and it, it, you know, it's getting very diverse, um, different cultures, sexual orientation, you know, and, and all these things are, are, are changing and, and everyone needs to, um, you know, we need to represent everybody. And also in not just with dentists, but with staff right now, we are in dentistry. We have a need for more hygienists more dental assistants. So this is a wonderful time for anybody who is wanting to go into that field because um, it, it is a great need. So I think anyone in high school who's looking to go into a field where they know they'll have a job when they get out, great. Right. Because we're always looking for good people. And I think that needs to be more diverse as well. Yeah, I don't know if it, if this mirrors medicine at all, but one of the things I've noticed, and it's it's the, the same is true with medical school now. You have more women than men in medical school. Um, the problem is that the upper levels, you know, the, the the powerful people, the administrators, and all of that, the lack of diversity at those levels is is still really lacking. What, what's the history of the Ohio Dental Association with women and people of color in in positions um, of administrative? importance is was your presidency notable for you being a woman or were you following in the footsteps of others i'm the third woman ever in over 150 years so uh and that's one reason i decided to do it um because i wanted young women to be able to to see themselves up there i wanted to see them you know feel that they're represented um so that's one reason i decided that i would that i would do this so we still need to have representation uh, in the higher levels from all backgrounds. That is something that's that still needed more. And I think more will happen. Well, hopefully the work that you're doing is just the beginning of that. And that will be something that others will continue. I, yeah, I really hope so. So I, I, I think the future is is bright that way. So you and I, you know, originally met just for listeners' context here, because you had submitted a personal account of the story about your son Sean's experience with addiction and his ultimate death from uh, prescription drug overdose. And you wrote this fantastic piece in the book that I co-edited with my colleague at Ohio University. You know, and you've just been out there talking, um, really, you know, turning your own tragic family experience into something to really educate others and to give to the, to the community. You know, and, and when I had met you, I know you were looking forward at that time to this position with the Ohio Dental Association, and that rethinking pain was was something that was really important to you as well. Um, I, I note this story that you've told a few times, which is when you ran into a colleague, um, and they asked how you know how they could support you after Sean's death, and you said prescribe fewer opi opioids. I mean, that was a really important moment because what you were saying was what they can do is to solve this problem, right? Uh, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about the the pain management side, um, how you carried Sean's memory through your time as president, um, and anything you want to add in terms of where we are in the state with this rethinking of pain. Sure. Well, it, as far as where we are in the state, we've come a long way. Dentists are prescribing so many fewer opioids than they were, and many are not prescribing any. And it kind of started just like you said, with a colleague. And uh, uh, he did prescribe fewer opioids 
Um, and he was not looking forward to it. He thought he's an oral surgeon and he thought his weekends were going to be filled with patients calling in pain and it was really going to be nasty and the patients were not going to be happy, but it turned out to be the opposite. And it really opened his eyes to the fact that, you know what, maybe we really don't need this. So he and I started talking and someone asked us to present, um, to, uh, at, at a meeting, which we did. And I was so nervous. I could, you know, I had, I had to sit on a stool because my legs were shaking so badly. Um, but it was very well received and, and people were very open to it and it seemed to open their eyes to things. We then started presenting all over the state and getting the message out and not only telling people, gosh, you shouldn't prescribe opioids, but I would share my story. I would talk about Sean and I tried to educate them on addiction, which is something we never really learned about in school. Here we are, we're prescribing opioids and we haven't had a good education on addiction and really what it is and how does it happen? And when I shared those things, especially, you know, the part about people between 13 and 26 being five times more likely to become addicted, if exposed to an opioid, it really opened people's eyes. And you were the one who brought my attention to the fact that wisdom teeth extraction and a few of these sorts of almost rites of passage for you know young people uh, were really uh, massive sort of conduits through which pain medications tended to flow and ended up in medicine cabinets that could then be you know misused at various points. Absolutely. There have been many laws passed in the state um, restricting the, the prescribing of opioids. Um, the American Dental Association was the first national um, health association to have an opioid policy. The Ohio Dental Association followed soon after with um, its opioid policy. And um, we advocate for um, mandatory CE so that people learn about opioids prescribing and about addiction. Um, and the dental board did take that up and it is a mandatory thing for, uh, for everyone in the state, every dentist in the state. So we have put together at the Ohio Dental Association an online CE course that um, meets those requirements. Um, and it's free to all members um, so that everybody, you know, everyone learns about it. And just for the non-experts in the room like me, so CE, I'm guessing, is continuing education? Yes. Thank you. Right. Okay, good. Yes. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> yes. Yes. And then um, when I became, another thing I wanted to accomplish when I became president, um, I established uh, an opioid coalition. And by coalition, it just means a lot of people working together from different areas. So it, this involves medicine, dentistry, pharmacy and addiction recovery. Um, we, we've only met once because of COVID and, you know, you have a group of people that have never seen each other. So we kept hoping we could meet in person, but of course that didn't happen. Um, but I was so thrilled at the meeting and there, there was a lot of interest. We each learned a lot from each other because I think in medicine, as you know, Dan, everything seems to be kind of fragmented. You know, specialists do their own thing. Medicine does its own thing. Dentistry does its own thing. And I just wanted everyone to, to talk and, you know, sit down and, and share what's going on. 
And they decided, you know, they would really want to have goals, some very important goals. And one of the things that they are hoping to accomplish is to try to find a way to help eliminate pain as a vital sign. But also at the same time, there are groups that, you know, push back and say, um, like, you know, I know this is big in the disability rights community saying, you know, actually there are, there are people who feel cut off that with no other solutions, right? So we, at the same time that we want to address things like opioid misuse and look at, you know, the, the companies and all of this, pain is a real thing. I, I know that, you know, my colleagues who are physicians, they, you know, they're, they're really worried. They, they don't want their patients to leave their offices with pain, or at least that was part of their training, right? If you can send the patient home a little with some relief in some way, then you've done your job. But we're starting to rethink that a little bit. But also there's a fear that maybe some people will swing too far. Cancer care, for example, comes up in those conversations. Oh, well, absolutely. And there, 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 there are places where you absolutely need opioids until we find something that will, that will take care of pain as well or better than, than those. Um, you know, for acute pain, like we have for the most part in dentistry, they've found that um, ibuprofen and Tylenol taken one right after the other, take mm -hmm. uh, the maximum amount of Tylenol, follow it when that, before that wears off by the maximum amount of ibuprofen. You know, uh, back to back, back to back, don't let it wear off. That has more pain relief than an opioid. Wow. But, you know, on the other side of it, just like you were talking about, there are people that have chronic pain that are in agony and they really deserve something that doesn't kill them and or have the ability to kill them. So we really need something better for pain to help people, but something that doesn't create an addiction. Is, is the new generation of dentists coming up and people working in the dental industry in general, in general you know, hygienists, everybody, are, are they learning a different way of thinking about pain altogether? Has this had a big effect on the education side that you expect to kind of trickle up or is that still a work in progress? It, it is a work in progress. However, I, I see a big change. Um, I think the pendulum is swinging back. You know, when I was in school, you know, back in the dark ages, we talked about managing pain. Um, then I would say maybe late eighties, early nineties, people talked about eliminating pain. Hmm. And that's when a lot of these drugs like, um, Oxycontin came on the, came on the scene. Um, so I think pain, you don't want people to be in agony. If it is something that is an, an acute thing. Um, let's say you take out a tooth. The fact that someone has pain and the type of pain that they have tells the doctor a lot about what's going on. If you totally mask everything, you may have something awful going on in the background that no one ever knows about. So I think there's a difference between totally eliminating it and managing it. I often point out when I, when I had cancer surgery about, I guess it's about 11 years ago now, it was something like 75 oxy I was prescribed, you know, and <laughs> it was astounding. I didn't need even close to that. And like so many other people, it sat in my medicine cabinet for um, years, right. you know, just kind of sitting there waiting for somebody else to find it. Absolutely. I mean, it really, um, like I said, I, it, it was, you know, eliminate 
So people were handing them out like candy. But I think, you know, part of the problem was we didn't fully understand or realize the potential. Um, so luckily, uh, that's, that's changing. So let's turn to one of the big elephants in the room of every conversation I've been having for the last at least nine months now, which is COVID-19. And, you know, during your um, time as president with the ODA, uh, obviously COVID was, you know, um, a, a big focus, I'm sure. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, going to the dentist was one of the first things I did when we had a little bit of a dip there. Um, you know, a lot of practices, including the one that I go to, shut down for a while and then reopened. And it was really nerve wracking, but I, you know, they handled everything really well and they clearly knew what they were doing. You talked a little bit about some pieces I saw you write on the web uh, for the organization. You talked about the PPE problem that you couldn't get everything you needed or that it was a little difficult starting up. But what other lessons did you learn dur during COVID-19 about dentistry? That we are much more adaptable and nimble than I ever thought possible. It seems like sometimes when you're a professional organization or, you know, a profession, you know, things when they, when they have a chance to change, they seem to move at kind of a glacial pace. Um, but, you know, everything happens so rapidly and we really did adapt well um, when, when everything first happened and we were ordered to be closed except just the emergencies um, of course, that threw everyone into a panic. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, and most of us had to furlough our staffs um, because we had you know no money coming in and still had to pay the bills. But for, for Ohio anyway, I put together a task force to deal with COVID, and you know I tried to find people who were smarter than me and uh, experts in in lots of different things. And we pulled from the American Dental Association, the CDC, um, and, and came up with guidelines um, and, and found a way to, to get everybody back to work and to see patients because patients continued to have problems. Um, you know, during this whole time, my son and I would go, my son is a dentist and practices oh. with me, my younger son, Michael. And um, we still continued to see emergencies in the office. Um, so, you know, just because there's a pandemic, it doesn't keep people from having a, a toothache or breaking a tooth. So when, when you did kind of get things back up and running, did you have a lot of catch up work to do? Was there a lot of deferred care that had to be addressed and, you know, things of that nature? And we, we hear about that a lot in just all sorts of areas of medicine, uh, you know, cancer care deferred, diabetes, like all sorts of issues. Were you finding that with dentistry as well? Absolutely. You know, because decay doesn't stop either. So, you know, if you had seen a, a cavity back in, say, February, and they were scheduled to come in, in in March, and the office was closed, it's continuing to grow. And then we finally opened um, middle of May. Um, you know, things have progressed. Some people wound up, you know, with, they were supposed to have a crown. Well, maybe the tooth broke more, and they wound up with a root canal, or maybe they lost the tooth. Um one thing I didn't see coming was that everyone is so stressed. They are, you know, bruxing, grinding, clenching their teeth. And I have seen a record number of broken teeth, cracked teeth, um, teeth that are 
split in two pieces where they have to totally lose the tooth. More than I've ever seen in the rest of my career combined. It's pretty amazing. I mean, I think as, as humans, we don't deal well with limbo and we're in a, you know, we're in a state of limbo that we don't know when it's going to end. So COVID-19 is definitely a big part of that. You know, maybe some of that will go away when the election gets resolved for a few folks as well. Oh my gosh. Yes, that too. In general, though, you know, I I wonder, we we know that dentistry is just, it's famously undervalued in the United States. I wonder if I can ask you just generally to give me a sense of... Is this changing at all? And maybe is is there an Ohio specific piece to this? Where where do we rank? I mean, is Ohio at the the bottom of the pile, the middle of the pile, or that you know somewhere towards the top? Like, where do we rank nationally, and and how seriously we invest in things like dental care? Well, we are one of the few states in the nation that has adult dental Medicaid, so you know we we are uh, ahead of the curve that way. Yeah. Um, a lot of states, uh, you, they, there is none. I mean, they may take care of children, but you know, if you're an adult and you don't happen to have dental insurance and you don't happen to have a lot of money, well, too bad. I mean, listeners will know. I mean, we talk about Medicaid a lot on this show, and it's just another area where we realize the importance of Medicaid, but also the you know, the Ohio specific importance of Medicaid that we've done a better job with Medicaid than many states have. And it's something we're really lucky to have here and something that we fight for to keep. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, um, we advocate every year to try to keep it in the budget. You know, we're really hoping and, and so far it's in the budget this year. So that's a wonderful thing. Um, I'm hoping it stays there. Um, it would be wonderful if it could be expanded, but you know, I realize there, you know, there are a lot of things fighting for the, the dollars in that budget. But why do you think this is, though? Why, why do you think people undervalue dentistry? Do they just kind of think of teeth as cosmetic and, and don't fully understand, you know, how they how our how our dental systems? I don't know what the correct word is for this here, but how it relates to broader health and even can prevent larger health problems from happening down the line. Do they just think of like, oh, dentists deal with teeth and that's not a big deal? Or what's the story uh, as you see it? Well, I think a lot of people don't understand the, the you know, the connection between uh, oral health and overall health. And it, it has a huge connection. Um, but a lot of times it st- goes back to fear. Um, a lot of people are afraid. They don't want to see the dentist until, you know, they have pain, which that usually that is only a bad thing. Um, mm. And, I think some people, it, it was in, you know, what they were taught growing up. So it's really important to, um, to catch mothers um, when they're expecting and teach them about a child's oral health and to start the child outright and start the child with no fear, learning that, you know, going to the dentist and having your teeth examined, having them cleaned is a normal thing. Because kids don't have that built-in fear that that adults have, you know, learned. Most kids are pretty open when they when they come to the office. I mean, all of the bad stuff kids come to think about, they learn from us, right? <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> that's right. But I think education is a lot of it. So you know, if if we can try to educate people, things are getting better, um, but they still have a ways to go. Well, I just want to you know, end on a, a kind of bigger open-ended question here, which is, 
What's something about dentistry that, you know, just people don't, I mean, it may be exactly what you just talked about. So maybe I blew it with that question, but you know, what, what's something that they just don't understand about dentistry as you see, you know, assumptions about it or uh, stereotypes or anything that you is, you know, maybe during your time as president of the ODA, but also um, just generally as a professional, as a woman who, who, who practices dentistry, um, what's something people don't get? Well, I think they don't always get the fact that, you know, how important your mouth is and how important, uh, just like I was talking about COVID and people clenching and grinding their teeth, a lot of times people have stress and they don't, they don't realize that they are clenching, they're grinding, they're taking it out on themselves that way. And something as simple as a bite plane that we can make that is... Uh, preventive keeps them from breaking teeth. It keeps them from having sore muscles, headaches. And that, you know, if you just work on maintenance and prevention, you can, you can skip a lot of the big work down the road. Um, That really, if you, if you start off right, you know, it, it should be an easy thing. It shouldn't be a lot of work and a lot of money. Uh, people spend a ton of money on haircuts and they maintain their car, but they don't always think about maintaining their mouth. I'm smiling here. You can't see because this is a podcast and that's just how it works. But, you know, (laughs) this is in a way the whole ball game with um, health, right? I mean, prevention, convincing policymakers, for example, to invest on the front end. Um, You know, we, we, we know that, you know, really investing in kids, for example, has, not just effects on kids, but longitudinal health down the line that can be lifelong effects. Um, but getting people to invest on the front end requires investing on the front end. And people don't always want to do that, even though, you know, even for like fiscally conservative folks who might want to minimize, you know, um, how much taxes they pay or, uh, you know, how much uh, money things cost, it's the smart way to go and it's the right way to go in the long term. But we're kind of like, short-term people too much. Yeah. You know, so that's what happens, I guess. Then you need a bridge. Then you need to deal with a cracked tooth, right? Then you need that cavity to get extra filled or whatever the technical term is. Right. Right. Yeah. That a little prevention goes a long way. Well, you know, this has been long overdue. I've been wanting to talk with you uh, for quite some time and um, it's nice to just catch up um, and, and hear about how your year went. But I also just wanted to make sure that, you know, as we now we're through the election. Well, almost through the election. We'll see by the time listeners hear this where we are. We really want to get back to some issues um, uh, that are core to how we think about health in the state. And talking with you is a great place to start. So I'm really glad that we had that opportunity. And thank you for doing it. Oh, thank you, Dan. It was it was nice talking to you, as always. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show, follow us on Twitter at, at @prognosisohio, friend us on Facebook, and check out our website at prognosisohio.com. As always, we encourage you to reach out via email or social media with your suggestions and your feedback. As I mentioned, we'd really love some ideas for important issues you'd like to hear us engage on the show and would appreciate your recommending guests and possibly even connecting us to them. Maybe you'd even like to be on the show yourself. Thanks, everybody, and be well.